0: This is Family Office Intel at Dentons, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the Modern Family Office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. Today is a conversation with Julia Chu. Julia is the head of the family governance advisory practice at JP Morgan Private Bank. She leads the practice in guiding wealthy families to convey their values and priorities through future generations. She's a former practicing attorney and also ran formerly ran the National Family Governance Practice at Credit Suisse and also previously worked at UBS. She's considered a thought leader in the family governance space and also speaks uh, widely on family th- philanthropy. Uh, She went to Cornell for her undergrad, Boston University for law school, and she's got an LLM from NYU. Today we'll be talking about uh, several areas, including how to build and develop family trust, the mechanics behind building that trust within a family office enterprise, and then what trust development looks like uh, in a post-COVID world. So let's get started. Julia, thanks for coming on. Uh, How did you get your start in the family office and family governance world?
1: Well, um, it's a, a long and um, interesting path. I think anyone who comes to this realm, uh, there's, there's very rarely a, a direct line. Um, so I began my career as a tax attorney, then morphed over to, um, and in that realm, uh, focusing on Reorganizations of closely held businesses, which actually is still very relevant today. Then I morphed into charitable planning and then into family governance. And I really spent more time or leaned into the more interesting questions. And tax planning, of course, is relevant. Philanthropic impact is, you know, in many ways, even closer to a family's heart. But then when you even look at the whole balance sheet and... Really examine how a family makes its decisions in general, um, not just in philanthropy, but on the business, on family office and, um, and generational succession. That was a realm that really drew my interest, um, and still does at the end of the day. So I would say that, um, you know, the higher you scale up for visibility, the more you can see and the more that you can share then with, with others.
0: I think that one of the key areas that you and I have talked about um, is certainly that has been with us pre pandemic, but uh, in a during pandemic and hopefully after pandemic uh, timeframe uh, soon enough is this notion of a trust deficit and that trust deficit um, follows in not only just the general public's perception of trust and of public and private institutions, but, but it goes beyond that. So let, let's, Take a step beyond the headlines and talk about what you're seeing out there.
1: Sure. Well, um, I think we and in the, in the family governance biz, um, if you will call it, are very well aware of the 2021 Edelman Trust Barometer, which actually probes for and engages a level of trust in a number of institutions, in the citizens in, in their country, their government, um, the corporate sector. And in all of these realms, we're actually hitting uh, an all-time low. And for a while, there was a great reliance and trust in government uh, at, the, at the start of the pandemic. And then as, as the months pass, as, as you can probably imagine, public trust and in, in government efficacy, the officials who lead it, um, the policymakers, um, uh, continues to decrease and the public trust realm doesn't end there. Um, in the absence of discrete civic leadership, um, then you turn to your media sources or sources of information, and that's at an all-time low. So whether it's social media um, or traditional media, um, they have all also skidded uh, really to rock bottom. Now you'll you'll always trust, I guess, your own favorite source of information, but uh, there's a, a deep drop-off then in trust in almost everything else, which which is um, alarming because there used to be a bit of a public square or a main a convening point where everyone could at least accept um, points of information exchange that no longer seems to be the case. Um, and then the increased polarization politically um, within communities and countries extends to families. It's not uncommon for families to be on the other side of, of the party so party wall, so to speak. And this has, as you can imagine, affected uh, not just Thanksgiving <laughs> gatherings, um, but also the very level of trust that someone has in, um, in fellow family members, which is problematic if you're leading a collective family enterprise and, um, or company. And what this shows is that how you feel about someone directly impacts how you receive that message, regardless of the message, which is, which renders a family vulnerable to vulnerable, uh, to sound decision-making if if the cloud of of your feeling overcomes objective data and the processing of it, or a statement rather. So um, it, it does affect, the lack of trust affects the public at large, but also families as well.
0: So you, you mentioned a little bit about how it affects the family uh certainly on uh, on a um overall level when you have this kind of lack of trust in 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 what's going on but how have you seen that manifest in within a family enterprise especially when you're dealing with multiple generations and other aspects of a family that that certainly come up
1: well i think um Family members naturally depend on each other um, for certain aspects of of running, whether it's a business or enterprise, and that is actually exemplified in what's known as the trust game, which is a classic game that has been um, long examined and used as a model by other social behavioral scientists. So, Eddie, let's just say that at the beginning of this game, um, you know, I there's there's twenty dollars to be uh, divided equally between us. And if we decide to go our separate ways, which is known as the outside option, we can end the game right there. Now, if I decide to play in the next round, but then the next round is is set up in the way that there's thirty dollars to be divided between us, not just 20, but then only you have the decision to allocate, those dollars, not me. You have that power, the decision-making power to do that. So you can either, and and let's say the prescribed routes are, you can divide it equally between us, or you can screw me over and just give me $8 and then you get the 22. Um, I stand to gain more if I trust you and you act in a trustworthy fashion, or I cannot. And so this is the nature of family businesses. Many shareholders will rely on the decisions of the trustee, of the business leader, of the family office head, um, and their willingness to engage directly is um, based on how much they trust that person to really um, act uh, in a just manner for, for all the family members at large. And if they don't choose to engage, they're going to want to go their separate ways as soon as it's, it's, it's fiscally possible, which we have seen.
0: And does this relate to game theory at all in terms of, you know, like a one-shot game or, you know, re- repeated types of things that play into to human nature and, and, and human behavior around this?
1: Yeah. I mean, because um, in fact, um, human beings are at the end of the day, they're, they're self-oriented, which is not, not a bad thing. Um, which is why if I, if, I trust you to grow the pot and make the pie bigger for all of us, then um, if I believe you're going to do it and that you're incentivized to do it, then I'm going to accept the decisions, accept the information that you're going to communicate. If I feel that you're in this leadership role, only for yourself, I'm less likely to trust you. And, and that is game's theory ship um, expressed in, in a very direct and human fashion that's that's being played out in families every day, every quarter.
0: So it's interesting to see. I mean, there's been a, certainly a, a lot of focus on behavioral, uh, you know, behavioral economics, behavioral finance, but uh, behavioral governance uh sounds like an area that uh requires some some study and you've done a lot of work in that space and with all of that um as a backdrop how can you actually build trust within a family it it sounds great as a theory that you know if i trust you but how do you actually build that um across the family enterprise?
1: Well, one theory is that you can wish for it. Um, and we all know that hope is not a strategy. but. Thankfully, there are two separate ways, two different lenses to build trust in a very rational and practical way um, that can be implemented tomorrow, um, actually, you know, or somewhat tomorrow, if, if you wish. The first is in um, taking a structural approach to, um, to building wealth, and the other is in behavioral. So I'm just going to begin with the structural elements we all know uh, we're familiar with the three ring circle of, of John of John Davis in which a family member can be involved with the family enterprise in in several ways. They can be running the business um, or they can be a shareholder or occupy neither of the roles and and just be a family member. You can be um, you can be an, an in-law, so to speak. Um, but many times a family member will wear more than one hat. And um, that creates complications. By necessity, sometimes that, that person uh, wears many hats. So let's just say, and this is fairly common, you have um, a sibling who's the CEO of a CEO of the family business. He also sits on the board o- overseeing the business, and he's also the sole trustee of the trust that owns these business interests. Think about it. So you are, so whenever you are jury, judge, and executioner, that's a lot of conflicting roles and, and responsibilities that are conflated in one individual. Now, he may be the most virtuous and, um, right-minded individual, but because each of these roles in terms of serving the business and then enriching the family, um, uh, because, and then overseeing the wealth uh, really accumulates in one person, that person has a lot of natural conflicts going on. And in fact, this is, this is the case that is probably, if it's not really addressed quickly, can, can fulminate into a bigger crisis. So there's one uh, brother who's actually occupying all these roles. There's the other brother who's occupying none of these roles. And he's starting to assert now that he's not acting in the best interest of either the family or, um, or the company. And... Um, if he's the only person, if that brother is the only person who occupies these roles, it's easy to make that argument. So, how structurally do you build out that trust? The secret, or a non-secret, because this isn't rocket science, is that you broaden, um, the base of authority in each of those areas. So it's not just that one person making the decision. So for instance, um, on, and the business level, sure, you know the brother can sit. The active brother can sit on the board, but let's have non-family members also sit on the board um, to really balance out the decision making that's made at the corporate level. And that actually is a best practice anyway that should be implemented. Um, the second strand is um, for fiduciary. Let's have instead of being having one family member serve as the trustee and kingmaker, um, let's have let's bring in a third party institution either as a co-trustee or as the sole directed trustee, which which can happen as well. So then you're broadening the base of decision making so it can't be cast as just one single individual acting, you know, in a fickle manner. Then the third way to gird uh the system is that you have, if you have a family council, and they kind of have one, is to have a family council um, that is representative of multiple branches and multiple generations. So again, you diversify um the base of authority and voice in speaking as a family. And the more you actually broaden those bases, the less susceptible um, a decision is. To criticism, but because hey, it's been girded and vetted actually by more than one person, and um, and not the sole person. So that structurally is the way to build out trust, regardless of the personality, because personality can you know can drive a lot of things. Um, So that is one form, a very practical way of structurally building trust that that gets beyond kind of emotional, um, you know, sword dueling.
0: How do how does that work? Uh, when you have to look at all the behavioral elements of a family? Is, it, uh, is, is there a framework that people can rely on?
1: Yes. So beyond the uh, structural elements, which of course involves really a, a review of the of the family's governance structure, um, the other is behavioral, and, and that's the other lens. And uh, many uh, experts have actually, div- you know, in terms of, if I were to ask you, Eddie, what would cause you to trust someone, uh, there are a lot of attributes, and uh, behavioral researchers have actually. And I can imagine I,
0: there's a lot of people that define trust in a different different way.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's trust in leadership. There's trust in the system of of making decisions, and there's trust in family members. We don't we don't pretend to um, say that we can help in overcoming your trust issues with a sibling, with, ha- with which you've had a, a long history. However, we can address on a behavioral basis what would enhance trust in its, a family's leadership and also the process of decision-making. And that's another thing I wanted to mention. This past general election has shown that if I don't trust the process, I'm not going to accept the, the voting result. However, if I do trust the process, um, I can accept the result even if I don't like it. So it's all about building out a process that people can trust and the results can come later. Um, so in building trust, there are three common legs of the stool. There's competence, there's communication or transparency, if you will, and then integrity. The The non-negotiable leg of this, or they're all non-negotiable, um, at the very beginning, table stakes is competence. So it, it basically, it, it's reflected as if I'm going to trust the current or future next-gen leadership, they better know what the hell they're doing. And that's easily measured, right, in terms of um, whether it's family office performance, investment performance, or business performance, and overall enterprise um, metrics. That is very easy to determine whether or not someone knows what the hell they're doing. Um, And so, it's, so you can actually build that by um, by having someone in place who has deep industry experience, technical expertise, the ability to anticipate and respond to problems, um, following through on commitments, and demonstrated through performance. And not just for one year, but over several years and relative to a benchmark. I, I have a lot of incoming complaints from family business heads who say, you know, I've been holding this business steady in a year that's been disastrous for our industry and I get no credit for it. Um, and uh, so it's it's important to assess performance in light of a, of an agreed upon benchmark. Um, so that, that makes it fair for, for everyone involved. Now, the question that often comes up is, uh, well, what if you don't have a family member who really is competent to lead the business. And one Saudi family's response is said, it's very easy, we don't, we don't have that family member serve. And so in their perspective, um, the most, it's most important to have family members serve as informed shareholders and just let the best qualified person actually run the business and keep that goose popping out golden eggs. And um, we actually, you know, some families say, don't worry, Johnny, if things don't work out, you can always come back and work for the family. This, this is not the attitude that this Saudi family um, takes. They, they actually say that, in their mind, we're, we're not an employer of last resort. The family works for the company, and the company does not work for us. Now, when you have that ethos, and that's actually demonstrated in practice, then a family member is going to trust that, the, that leadership is competent because that's actually a core requisite. For being allowed anywhere near the business, so um, so competence is again an important leg; it's indispensable. Um, and then the other two are more relationship-based, which is um, communication slash transparency, and then also um, integrity, which I, I can get into. Now as well,
0: and what about non-kind of financial ways of finding competence? Because there's, or you know, there's other kinds of competence that come out there. Are there things to think about uh, for that in light of what what you mentioned around uh, these behavior elements?
1: So um, I think another part of that, in terms of the non-financial, does get into communication and then integrity. So for communication, uh, one of the one of the learnings from from many family members is to communicate effectively and and so you do have family business heads who say well, what are you talking about i i email the annual report every year on time and the corresponding excel sheets and you know i mean if if i'm a shareholder and and i'm a school teacher and i get this thing i you know i'm not going to be able to really make sense of it. So this one family um, makes it very important to meet family members where they are and to design a process um, that keeps everyone comfortable. And instead of just throwing PL sheets at them, um, was really able to really distill the larger picture, share what the strategy was, and then gain feedback um, accordingly. So meeting families where they are Sharing uh, information in a format that they can truly understand and be comfortable with is an important element of the communication pillar. The other thing, too, is to actually communicate bad news as well as good news. Often there's, there is an inclination to shield non-active family members from bad news or challenges. One is you, you kind of want to, you know, assume they don't want to be brought in to, uh, to, to problems, so to speak. The other is, it's just a lot of work, frankly, to unpack and explain what the issue is, um, and what, and how you're addressing to meet it. But all of that is worth it because when you do share bad news, as well as good news, you accomplish a couple of things. Um, one is that you enhance the business literacy of the family members to know that everything is not rosy all the time. Um, Second, you actually help the the family adopt a more problem-solving mindset if they are actively apprised of ongoing issues. And third, you gird them against things of of true measures of adversity when things are really terrible. The the communicating actively on on both sides of good and bad news is is critical as well as a part of communication. Um, The other aspect is to communicate not just news, but also policies and rules of why things happen the way they do. So, um, a a lot of the grist and drama in family businesses come from, well, why does Johnny get to join the board or why is, um, why does, uh, Annie invited to the family council? And I've never been asked, you know, there may be rules in place, but they never have been communicated. And, um, that's, That's what leads to drama more than necessarily setting out the rules. And so um, it's important to communicate and over-communicate, and not just in an email, but in in person, in meetings, because you never want to assume that people do know the the rules and the policies, because that's actually often not the case. Um, And it's important to communicate out, because spouses are also the people who get upset at any kind of perceived inequity. So um, they might as well understand what the rules are as well. And the last thing I'll I'll mention on the communication leg to to balance the competence leg is bonding through physical proximity. Experience has shown that I'm not going to trust you if I can't see you, if I can't be physically proximate to you, if we can't relax together in a recreational setting. And the families that actually do plan to do that beyond just the annual retreat, and it can occur even Spontaneously within pods in certain parts of the country, when people are in town, um, goes a long way to establishing trust just through uh, setting up opportunities for physical proximity. Um, so that that is the um, actual aspect of of the communications leg, and I'm happy now to, to turn well, to the integrity. Well, that yeah. also
0: begs the question of in person is you know. Preferred, and that's a, a strong mechanism for building trust. What do you do in a COVID era?
1: Well, that's a very fair question. And while you, uh, while family members should always choose uh, to to try to meet in person whenever possible, again, not the whole clan necessarily. That may never be possible all the time, but in in you know in in smaller, more spontaneous settings, the truth is is that roughly seventy percent of all communication among teams. Is virtual, and that probably won't change anytime soon. And and when that happens, you you know the loss of nonverbal body cues um, creates disengagement, or it can. And so what you have to do is what used to be implicit in body language now has to be explicit in digital body language, and that means I have um, never
0: heard digital body language, so I'm, I would love to learn some more about this.
1: Oh yeah, so according to this other. Um, behavioral scientist uh, who actually wrote the book on digital body language. There are many ways to actually demonstrate that you don't respect or um, give a crap about someone or on some level, you don't value their time. I think most people feel that as a result of this pandemic, they don't really feel that the time or their efforts or themselves are appreciated. Whereas that would have been conveyed very easily in the office. So the main pet peeves and Eddie, I know you've never been guilty of this is Ray, regularly joining meetings late, virtual meetings late, letting meetings run over, multitasking during face-to-face and video meetings, and then looking down at your phone when others are trying to make eye contact with you—these um, are the these are the endemic cues that indicate I don't value your time. And the other aspect is that. Um, to demonstrate gratitude for effort. So sometimes um, we've had instances, we have all experienced instances in which we do something for someone by email or whatever, and then we hear nothing back. And sometimes that, you know, before in the office, you could have said, hey, Eddie, thanks for that. Now, you know, if you don't hear anything, that silence can be deafening. Or what I've seen cross-culturally is um, you invest a lot of time and effort, and what you get back is a simple T-Y Thank you. Again, that person may feel that he's being uh, appreciative, but then when you get this back and you're like, what? Like that for, you know, for the hours of labor. So to actually visibly appreciate digitally is, is now the new norm. And by the way, the new mantra um, in terms of communicating digitally as well is reading carefully is the new listening. So a common example of this is someone texting Um, do you prefer when does Wednesday or Thursday work better for meeting and then hearing the answer back or seeing it? Yes. Now clearly that person (laughs) is not reading your text. It's the same. It's almost the equivalent of walking and talking and clearly not like paying attention. Um, so being mindful of, of reading carefully, um, is, is worth the effort. So in, in terms of, um, You know uh, that's and you know that's the one thing we can control, to be honest, in terms of digital body behavior, Um, and because it is so endemic, um, it's something to be mindful of. The reason why it's important in families is, whatever pet peeve exists in the in the in any office place has an additional gloss if that person happens to be your father, your sister, your cousin. Right there's additional charge that comes if something is not conveyed well. So that's why it's even more important in a family context to build trust in, in ways that are mindful.
0: It's really appreciated in Mayan. And the, I mean, some of the digital, um, you know, etiquette, uh, it, it seems pretty intuitive, but it, it's challenging too, right? When you're trying to figure out from one system to another. But you know, I think this is just something that over time is going to be even more. Uh, more important when we you know, whether the workplace in the future looks more hybrid, which uh, many people have speculated that that's that'll that'll be the case even in two thousand and twenty two and beyond and uh very interesting to hear maybe maybe we'll have some digital etiquette uh courses that we'll all have to take uh, from from our firms as part of it. But that's that's pretty neat Um, in terms of the, So we talked about competence. We talked about communication. What about integrity?
1: So that has many faces as well. And one face of it is accountability and being able to hold the business accountable, but also um, having a, a proactive relationship back with the shareholders. So this one Australian family handles accountability between the family and the business in a very clear way. As the business head, and he's a family member, he says, we are responsible to the stakeholders. Uh, You tell people what you're going to do. You either do it well or you don't. But at least your stakeholders know what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, setting that aside in just an annual high-level strategy review, it gives the family a chance to ask informed questions and then sign off on the strategy. And then it's up to the business or the family office to execute and then review and then iterate back. And I actually asked him, you know, so what happens if if a strategy fails? And he said, well, that the, the blame game doesn't really happen as much because if people understand which way you're heading and they have an opportunity to comment on it before you start heading in direction, then the accountability actually goes both ways because you signed off on it after having your chance to ask questions. So accountability is mutual, but knowing the boundaries of approving strategy and then execution is very important. The other aspect of, um, of integrity is consistently applying the rules that are in place. Most of the time, when families complain to me about uh, a rule or a policy, it's not because it's not because of the rule; it's because it's not being consistently applied. And um, whether it's um, having a a family member work outside of the business for a certain number of years before coming on board, um, or whether subjecting um, a family member employee to an annual review in one case and not for another employee, Um, that inconsistency and that sense of unfairness is what drives family members crazy. Um, And I'll give you an example of how one person averted this crisis. So this one family member CEO was receiving, you know, the family rule was that, He had to work outside of the business for three years before uh, working as a full-time employee here. Um, And, you know, that that rule is actually in place in a lot of families for a lot of, uh, you know, natural reasons. Um, This past year, uh, he was asked, you know, could you just hire, you know, hire Johnny Jr.? Times are hard. There are no jobs during the pandemic. And it would be great if you could just have him do something. And he was really... um, at a crossroads because he knew that he wouldn't be popular (laughs) if he actually said otherwise. And I said to him, I just have two things to share with you. The families that have deviated from rules like that have come to regret it. And two, the aspect of working outside the business to gird them um, with outside real experience has been an undisputably a benefit to families as borne out by research. So he used that as, um, as the, um, as, uh, as a way to kind of gird his his decision with his family. It didn't make him the most popular person, but what it did was that it led the family to understand that there was integrity in the system, that it was consistent, and that you could trust the process because it was applied equally or fairly, and you know, consistently. And so that's why this one Saudi family, when it comes to family constitutions, um or certain uh, types of other agreements within the family, quote, you shouldn't make a set of rules that you may not be able to adhere to because you only need one deviation from a specific rule to undermine its effect. So really, less is more. I mean, it's better to have an agreement or a constitution that everyone adherely, you know, strongly adheres to, no questions asked, than to have a very long granular document that's riddled with exceptions they're asked for by families, so, so that's another aspect of maintaining te- integrity or your belief in the process. And then the final component of integrity is identifying who's qualified to lead the business. And uh, one UK family said, well, a key tri- criterion is that family directors have to want to pass on to the next generation something that is bigger and better as a result of their stewardship. So they're naturally collectively minded. They're here to build the family pie for everyone and not just him or herself or his or her branch. And that makes that person more likely to be trusted if that is the case, because you're not going to trust someone who's in it for him or herself. And so because that was a core requirement, and that can be, you know, obviously, everyone knows in the family who that person is, or who that person isn't. So um, identifying that early and, and grooming that those person's capabilities is key. And that also is what helps to maintain trust in leadership.
0: We talked a little bit about COVID uh, and uh, a, the world that we're in now and, and what that might look like in the future uh, in a hybrid type of model. What about when virtual becomes more prominent and people start spending more of their time in, in virtual worlds. I mean, uh, dare I say something around the edges of a metaverse uh, and how technology becomes more integrated into our lives. How do we sidestep those things and, and really try to build in all of the elements that you talked about before on, on the trust building side?
1: So one way to do so is actually by doing an internal survey of of actually doing an internal trust barometer and that you can do remotely and we've done that for families in which you actually you you roll out a questionnaire and just asking. You know, whether or not you understand the rules in the place, do you feel that they're being applied consistently? Do you feel like you're being apprised? This is not meant to be a vote of confidence and leadership, but really just to understand your comfort level and your comprehension of the system that is in place. And, um, it's amazing the, the wealth of information that you will get because you, you know, in one instance, we did, we did hear back from one family member who said, like, the whole promotion cycle in this family is really a popularity contest. Like, that's all I see. So, and that, that was an opportunity to really clarify what were the parameters for promotion and the grounds for which that person was, was elevated. So, um, I will say one cautionary tale. If you're going to circulate a survey, which you can do uh, virtually, um, again, to build trust, you have to be able to do something in response to the survey. So there's nothing more disheartening than filling out a survey, getting the perfunctory thank you, never hearing anything. So the family has to be willing, the leadership has to be willing to actually respond to some of the um, some of the the responses that they do receive. But but be realistic. So if someone says, you know, I would like to be briefed about the business more often, so you can actually have a menu, would you like to receive a briefing, you know, every quarter, twice a year, if it's if every week is not feasible at all, then I wouldn't offer it at the outset. So, you know, you're not setting yourself up. So, but to have a prescribed um menu of options that the family can take on in response to um to that uh to, you know, the questions that have been raised, um it is an enormous trust booster um, because it's again, it's following on your word and being consistent and, and building integrity in the process.
0: All right. so Julia, if you look back at your career um, and you could provide a lesson learned when you started in this in this field, um, knowing what you know today, what would you have liked to have known back when you got started in, in the family office and family? enterprise space?
1: Well, this is something that's actually pretty obvious, and I wish that I had recognized it earlier. And I think as, as consultants and advisors, we always are hopeful and, and want to try to solve for a family's issues. And at the end of the day, um, it's on the family to want to work together and, and, to, uh, and to affirm that will on a regular basis. In the absence of that, really, no form of intervention can help. Um, But if you do have that common, at least, well, you don't have to agree on everything, a common interest and commitment of wanting to work together as a family, then really the possibilities are endless. But understanding that as almost table stakes for working with the family is the most important thing. It saves a lot of grief and time and frustration otherwise.
0: Well, listen, thank you, Julia. Uh, Thanks for joining us today and then thanks for all of you for listening in if you like to get in in touch with Julia or if you have any questions, do send us an email to at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, or are so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is very much appreciated, and probably the best way that you can show your support. To sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, check out our website. That's dentons.com forward slash family office well that's it bye everyone